Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. In our last podcast, we suggested that now might be a good time to discuss the whole concept of risk and reward. And today we said we'd offer some of our own thoughts where to go from here. To reiterate, we know if you want the potential of greater reward, one must take greater risk. But I have two questions. First, does the size or amount of risk really coincide with the magnitude of the reward? And can that relationship truly be captured by some mathematical formula? We know, for example, that in times of crisis, like the Great Recession of 2008, all things correlate. That is, they all go down. Yet when people use terms like beta and standard deviation, they clearly think so. Because beta for them is an attempt to measure how an individual asset will move when the overall stock market, say, increases or decreases. They use this to come up with an expected rate of return. While standard deviation, typically illustrated by scattergrams around some trend line, like the one used by our Fed for their infamous dot plot, well, it's a measure of the amount of variation a set of values supposedly exhibits relative to some mean. Again, with the safe haven of bonds last year proving to be one of the worst performing asset classes, falling 27.5%, What most people consider low risk and non-correlating no longer are. And formulas like these can, in my opinion, be misleading and possibly meaningless. I understand what you're saying. While there may be a pattern which from time to time holds true, it doesn't prove one or even a series of events will necessarily or inevitably cause another to occur in a world as complicated as the one in which we live today. For example, we do agree that the risk-free rate of return is generally considered to be the yield on the one-year treasury because it's short-term and because the principal and interest are guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the world's strongest nation, the U.S. Yet, we know now the old 60-40 rule where one allocates 60% to stocks and 40% to bonds to mitigate risk, it may no longer be viable certainly not in a low or zero interest rate world, to the point where even firms like BlackRock are now advising people to steer clear. But most people do turn to formulas of one sort of another, like the capital asset pricing model, CAPM for short, because it gives them a place to start. Okay, as long as we agree with a caveat, they all rest on two assumptions, that markets are efficient 
and that they're dominated by rational investors. Both presume the markets are populated by sophisticated, well-informed buyers and sellers, which I question, because everyone begins to form biases at an early age based on their own experiences and based on those people make assumptions, which for the rest of their lives influences all their subsequent decisions. This skews things. And then add self-interest and self-justification, which I discussed in my Equus article, What I Think I Know. Knowingly or not, those decisions may no longer apply in today's reality. Again, our mission is to educate our listeners, to help them make informed decisions, whatever stage of life they're in. And one of our main points is the place to start is by understanding what risk means for you. And as we said last week, while things like financial planning software and Monte Carlo simulations can be helpful tools, if you're using returns for the past 20 years when interest rates were declining and for years remain near zero to calculate some future expected rate of return, you can see how odds are your calculations could be off substantially. And by the time you realize it, it'll be too late because by then you'd be retired. So we'd like to discuss today's topic a little differently instead within the context of acceptable and unacceptable risk. That's perfect. So some risks do seem obvious, like the difference between a multi-billion dollar global company like an Apple or Alphabet and a fill-in-the-blank SPAC or startup that maybe has one product and hasn't reached profitability yet when it goes public. Of course, the more red flags a company has, the greater the risk most likely is. But this doesn't necessarily mean the risk should be deemed unacceptable. The greater your expected return, the more red flags you as an investor should be willing to accept, but it should certainly cause you to ask more questions before you make the investment and to consider your particular circumstances, your obligations, your timeline, and your financial wherewithal more carefully. Always follow the carpenter's rule, remembering to measure twice, cut once. But the truth is, while different investors have different levels of tolerance in general, the only time they truly agree for sure is when things go bad. Nobody likes it when things go down. So... In light of everything we just said today, where do we go from here? Well, how about we start with commodities? Barnaby, I know you've long liked gold and silver, and as the war in Ukraine continues and possibly escalates, and with Saudi Arabia threatening to trade in currencies other than the dollar, which they haven't really done since 1971, when Nixon took us off the gold standard and his Treasury Secretary William Simon convinced the Saudis to sell oil in dollars. And now, the post-COVID reopening of China, with the start of their lunar year, it does seem likely gold will exhibit, if not a resurgence, then at least continued demand. Also, with the battle now underway to raise our own debt limit, Foreign investors are especially beginning to feel uneasy about the strength of the dollar, and this could create another tailwind for precious metals. And there's also Brazil and Argentina engaging in talks again to create a common currency. They tried this back in 1987 with something called the gaucho. 
but they've actually been at it for years, looking for ways to reduce their reliance on the dollar, which, as we've said before, gives us significant advantages. But as one person said, for Brazil to do so, it's like opening a joint bank account with that unemployed deadbeat friend who owes everyone money. (laughs) Just last year, Argentina, which I adore from my days playing polo, reached a deal with the IMF to refinance their recent $44 billion bailout. And Argentines have long stashed billions of dollars in overseas vaults and accounts because after decades of this, they know better than to trust the value of their own peso. But the government keeps trying, and with Lula now out of jail and back in power in Brazil, why not? Plus, with new EV incentives here and overseas, with battery storage, solar farms, and our own efforts to improve the grid under our infrastructure bill, that all should drive demand for metals in general. So yes, hold on to that gold. Then, since we've had a nice rally in the past couple of weeks, it might be a good idea to shift a bit more into cyclicals and defense stocks, which offer greater value. But then I've always been a fan of Benjamin Graham, who in his classic book, Security Analysis, said in 1934, you buy when the sum of the company is trading at or below book value relative to its assets, when it's cheaper to buy than build. This is what many private equity firms have found to be a great way to amplify wealth, to turn around poorly managed businesses with great assets. And even though interest rates have risen substantially over the past 12 months, they're still lower than they were in the 1970s and 1980s when private equity really flourished. And with the economy now on the verge of recession, this could create opportunities for them to pick up the pace. With a 10-year treasury hovering around 3.5%, I'm not quite sure which way I think rates will go from here. Lazy Hunt at Hoisington Management seems once more to be making a good argument for rates to go lower, especially with the velocity of money in decline and the Fed still determined to choke off inflation, which, if they do, probably will put us in recession. My hope, of course, is they'll pause and give what they've already done a chance to work, but this certainly is what the bond market is saying with its inverted yield curve, where short-term rates are higher than longer-term ones. It's true that 60% of our CPIs derive from the service sector, which is highly dependent on the cost of labor. And it's only now beginning to show signs of slowing with an increasing number of our biggest tech companies beginning to announce a steady stream of layoffs. But according to Strategis, nearly 50% of our outstanding sovereign debt is maturing in the next three years. And today, the weighted average cost is only 1.8%. With a yield on treasuries with a maturity of two years or less now at or near four and a half, on the trillions of dollars we'll be rolling over, that could cause significant upward pressure on rates and, of course, expense. So I'm a little nervous about backing up the truck, even though yields are more enticing now than they have been in years. I'm still more inclined to stick with higher yielding floating rate debt when it comes to bonds and fixed income. To finish things off for today, I'd like to take any further rallies as an opportunity to increase savings and reserves. Habits with money are as important as they are for your health, your career, and your family. And if you didn't last year put money aside for a rainy day, reward yourself by saving first and then spending. I know you like to let your winners run and 
with a more concentrated portfolio approach, Barnaby, given the way you've explained things in your paper titled The Pareto Principle, I do understand why. You value the power of compounding, which I too think is one of the great wonders of the world. But make sure for our audience that you pay yourself first, first by paying off debt or any credit card balances that you have, and then by establishing a decent cash buffer to protect you and your family in the event of any economic downturn or something unexpected. Then invest for the long term. Take a look at your emotions at least once a year to double check your tolerance for risk. I agree. Make a plan, work a plan, and make sure you're in a frame of mind where you can resist the temptation to give into fear. It's not that you should ignore important warning signs, whether of detours or, God forbid, cliffs, in the belief things always go up. Clearly, they don't. And for those times, we want to make sure... We always have plenty of money in reserve, so you're never forced to sell. It's critical we stay focused on whatever the reasons were for investing in something in the first place. And at any given time, if those reasons still hold true and management is doing exactly what they promised, don't let yourself be shaken out. That's right. We always want to be in a position and be prepared, both emotionally and monetarily, to take advantage of other people's short-sightedness with at least some of those reserves that we raised when times were good. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today, and if you did, that you'll share it with your friends and family so they can enjoy it too. This is Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. 